Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by one of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voisin. A paralegal for more than 20 years, Vicki is dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Vicki Voison, the Paralegal Mentor and host of the Paralegal Voice. I'm an ALA Advanced Certified Paralegal. I publish a weekly e-newsletter titled Paralegal Strategies. I'm also the co-author of The Professional Paralegal, A Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success. You'll find more information at paralegalmentor.com. My guest today is Gary Kinder, lawyer, founder, and creator of WordRake, noted legal writing art educator, and New York Times bestselling author. So welcome, Gary. Hello, Vicki. How are you? I'm fine, and so pleased to have you with us. Now, before we begin, I do want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, NALA, a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. NALA is a force in the promotion and advancement of the paralegal profession and has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since the beginning. And actually, I was just in in, uh, Portland, Oregon last week for NALA's, uh, I believe, 38th annual convention. So I have to give NALA a shout-out. It was a, a wonderful convention and got to network with a lot of good friends. So the goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and also share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources you'll find helpful in your career and your everyday job. Guests are usually included to help explore timely topics, so that's why I've invited Gary Kinder to be my guest today to discuss paralegal writing skills. Gary, the the first thing I'd like for you to do is tell us how you became an expert on writing and editing for lawyers. It probably started uh, with me graduating from law school at the University of Florida. While I was in law school, I taught a writing program at the College of Journalism at the university, and after I graduated, I was offered a job teaching uh, writing at the law school, which I did for a short while before taking the bar exam and getting that behind me. And after that, I decided I didn't want to practice law just yet. I wanted to travel a little bit, so I headed west, and I ended up in Sun Valley, Idaho. And while I was there, um, I decided that I wanted to become a writer instead of practice law. So I started pursuing that and ended up publishing in magazines and then published books. I published two books at that time. One was called Victim. The other was called Light Years. And in 1988, uh, I decided uh, to move my family from Sun Valley over to Seattle. And at that point, uh, I needed to have a little more steady income. The books were doing well, but I needed more steady income. So I approached the big firm here, uh, Perkins Coie, about becoming an in-house editor. And they liked that idea, but even better than that, they liked the idea of having me come in and teach them how to do what I did. So I created a writing program for Perkins Coie in 1988. And since then, I've taught over a 1,000 writing programs to law firms all over the country and 
including uh, Jones Day and Sidley and Wilmer Hale and Skadden, all the you know the big firms with the big associate classes coming in. I've taught a lot of CLEs as well. And all that teaching led to getting patents on how to edit, and that led to uh, WordRake. And uh, now with the WordRake, I'm also writing uh, tips uh, for lawyers every week. So it's an extensive background. I also published my third book after I got out to Seattle, Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea, which uh, hit number seven on the New York Times bestsellers list. Very interesting. Very interesting. I have always found writing and I guess, well, we'll start with writing. I've always found that to be very easy. Not so sure that all people have that come naturally to them. And I do know that it's important for paralegals to hone their writing and editing skills. But to, uh, to give us some, um, some examples that you have for why that's really important. Uh, first of all, I find it interesting that uh, you find uh, writing easy. I think that probably most of your listeners find it difficult to face that, that uh, blank page, but it's important that they write well because as one uh, partner at a firm where I was teaching a program just last week uh, told me that, uh, you know, the new people coming in here, and he was referring to associates as well, you know, associates as well as uh, paralegals. Uh, don't understand that if they don't write really well, I, I can't keep them. I can't use them. And I know that a lot of uh, law firms even uh, require writing samples for paralegals and new associates to prove that they can write because that law firm becomes the face of the client. And if the writing is weak, it makes the client look weak. And partners have just so much time to spend editing paralegals and younger associates. Um, and so they need to get people who have really fine writing skills. That probably is the single most important thing they can have is that skill uh, to write well. Well, I guess the, my issue is I have just a million ideas going circling in my brain, so I have to get them down on paper <laughs> sometimes. So what are some of yeah. the most common pitfalls paralegals make when they're writing and editing, and how can they avoid those trouble spots? Too many words is the main problem, uh, writing with too many words. Uh, it, we've Certainly, this is no secret. Everybody hears it probably every day somewhere that, uh, you know, lawyers are so difficult to understand. And, and I think that if you can get rid of the unnecessary words, I, I would suggest two things. You want to get rid of the unnecessary words. And that's what WordRick was all about, is just spotting words that, that have no meaning in the sentence. because. When you have unnecessary words in your sentence, your reader has, still has to read those words. And they don't know that they're not necessary. Uh, and so as they go through, they begin to sense that maybe some of the words aren't necessary. And they go through this automatic, subliminal sorting out process, trying to determine which words do I need in this sentence to understand what this person's trying to tell me. And in that sorting out process, they slow in their reading and they become more confused. So... At the level at which paralegals have to write, they have to go through that sorting out process for the reader, whether it's going to be a client, it could be an administrator within the office, it could be one of the partners. They have to go through that sorting out process so that every word that they have in those sentences has to be in there. It's actually conveying meaning. And if a word's in a sentence and it's not conveying meaning, then it's just getting in the way of the words that are trying to convey the meaning. The other piece of this is trying to make your sentences livelier. And it, passive voice is a part of this, although I don't see passive mo a voice now 
as being a major problem, not nearly as big as something called the nominalization. And the nominalization uh, is just a, a word, a noun that should be a verb. Uh, the, the quintessential example is make a decision uh, instead of decide. And if you write with verbs, it enlivens your writing. Now, you can spot nominalizations three ways. And I'll tell you those very quickly. And when you see a to be verb, any of the to be verbs, am, is, was, or are, been, or be, uh, within two or three or four words down the road, you're often going to see a nominalization. Anytime you see the word of, the word before it is likely to be a nominalization. Any word that ends in ION, like decision or make a recommendation, uh, is likely to be a nominalization. So when you find those nominalizations and turn those into verbs, let's get rid of unnecessary words. Then you end up uh, writing a nice, clear, concise, and lively sentences. Well, Gary, something just popped into my, my head. I'm wondering when there are too many words. If that doesn't cause a problem with trust in that they're having such a hard time um, deciphering the meaning that they, they lose trust in the person who, was, who did the writing. Is that possible? Absolutely possible. It's, it's funny you mention that because I've got an example I've used for some time because it just worked so well. But it's the opening to a memorandum. And... One day I was using this to, to teach, and there were partners as well as associates in the room and paralegals too. And one of the partners said, this reads like a young associate who's unsure of herself. And I thought, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I express that before? Because that's exactly what it looks like. The, the, she had the phrase vis-a-vis, and then she would say specifically and accordingly, and um, words like that, and then there were a lot of extra words she just didn't need, a lot of nominalizations, as I just mentioned, because it sounds grander to write, make a recommendation. But when we edited that using some of these signs that I, I've taught for 25 years where you're most likely to find problems, in other words, words you can get rid of or replace, um, once we edited that example uh, that way, now, then you, you would read it. It went down from two paragraphs to two sentences, which now formed one short paragraph, and it sounds confident. And when you read it, you now have confidence in that writer. And grammar is another piece of this. If you have grammatical slips, uh, if you have typos in your writing, it makes the reader think that you don't care about your writing and the subject matter. And if you don't care about it, why should they care about it? That's the signal you send. And the more we have that, you know, the grammatical slips and the typos in our writing, uh, the less likely they are to have, as you put it, Vicki, the confidence in us. Right. Well, I do know that a lot of paralegals try to automatically adopt the writing styles of their lawyers, the lawyers that they work with. I've been guilty of that myself. What I'd like to know, is that a good idea, and, you know, why or why not? Um, <laughs> this is a very touchy question, because uh, not all lawyers are great writers. That's, that's pretty much a given. I would not have been in business for 25 years teaching if that weren't true. Um, I, I was doing a private tutorial just recently with uh, about a third-year associate, and she was a litigator, and I looked at... Uh, you know, one of the briefs she sent me as an example, and she started off with a sentence that went something like, 
this is a relatively simple motion. And so I told her, I said, don't ever put the word simple in a brief. I said, judges hate to see that word. If it's so simple, we wouldn't be here right now. Um, and I said, uh, so just don't do that. She said, well, the only reason I did that is I got out five briefs that the partner for whom I was writing this brief had written. And she said, he opens every single brief like that. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's his brief and his bar number is going to go on the bottom of it. So his neck is in the noose. Uh, so if he wants to do that, let him do that. But hold on to the good writing. And if something seems nonsensical to you just because the lawyers do it, Try not to do that yourself. I would not try to write a memorandum in the style that you think the lawyer, I know you have to write for four or five of them sometimes, and they all have different styles, but you would not want to write your version of the memorandum and go to them in their quote style because they're going to fill it in anyhow. They're going to put in their favorite little phrases. They're going to change a couple of your words to a word they like. And it's not going to improve it. It's just going to make it theirs. And again, it's their bar number going on or their reputation with the client. And so you have to leave it alone. But remember that um, uh, writing like a lawyer is the problem. As I've told, preached this for a quarter of a century now. Writing like a lawyer is the problem. You don't want to write like a lawyer. You want to think like a lawyer. But you want to write like a warm, logical, uh, compassionate, intelligent, a fair-minded human, uh, and uh, getting rid of the pursuant twos and all of that kind of stuff is a is a big step in that direction. So, and I know that some of your paralegals are going to go on to law school as well and become lawyers themselves. And it's just a matter of trying to hold on to what they know is good, even though temporarily they have to write things that are going to be changed and probably for the worse. Absolutely. I know I've worked for attorneys who were good writers. I've worked for attorneys who had terrible grammar. And I've worked for attorneys who couldn't write a complete sentence. So it was my job to clean that up. So that's why another reason why it's so important for us to, to have those skills. Now, Gary, I know you provide free weekly writing tips for uh, you know anyone who wants to sign up. So how can our listeners um, get those tips? And how can they read your past tips? Well, we have two websites, uh, wordrake, uh, W-O-R-D-R-A-K-E.com, wordrake.com. They can go to uh, that website. I think it's they're on a couple of pages. I know it's on the buy page. You'll see at the top of ribbon, just click on the buy page. Uh, when you go to that page, uh, there's uh, in the lower right-hand corner, just says sign up for free weekly tips. All we need is your email. Um, and uh, every uh, Wednesday, then, you will receive the, the tip of the week. And right now, uh, we're approaching one year, so we have just a little over 50 uh, tips at the site. Now, that, that site, if you want to go and look at past uh, tips, is called Right to the Point, and it's W-R-I-T-E, to the point, dot com. You can also sign up for the, uh, for the tips there, but you'll pick up the back. I just... Uh, uh, and putting out a uh, a revised, uh, I'm rewriting one of the older tips, which was about nominalizations. I just mentioned nominalizations just a few minutes ago, but there are tips on that. There are tips on broad subjects. There are tips on on minor, um, not minor, but small, uh, but but pervasive uh, grammar problems, editing problems, uh, just how to approach uh, writing assignments, this uh, sort of thing. So. 
it's very um, it's very informative. The uh, the tips they are, and we're getting a tremendous amount of feedback. It's gratifying when we go to some of these conferences, and the first thing people come up uh, uh, to us and say is, you know, they might be from Louisiana or from Vermont, and they just walk up and say, God, we love your tips. We read them every week, and we pass them around the office. And these are people, of course, I've never never met, don't know, and it's it's really fun. We have thousands of people now who are subscribers to the WordRake writing tips. Well, that's great, and that's the power of social media. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Gary, it's time to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, NALA, the Association of Legal Assistants and Paralegals. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about paralegal writing skills with Gary Kinder. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NALA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison, and today we're discussing paralegal writing skills with my guest, Gary Kinder of WordRake. Now, Gary, I... Uh, as I've been listening to you, I'm thinking, I said in the beginning that writing comes easy to me, but I, I worry about whether or not you, uh, if, you got, uh, if you got hold of anything that I've written, you might be, um, you might say, lady, I don't think you do know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's very scary. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I did hear that you've developed a software tool called WordRake. We just mentioned WordRake a minute ago. And that's editing software for lawyers and also paralegals, I'm assuming, that encapsulates all you've learned about good writing um, over the years. So how does WordRake work? It is incredibly simple. Uh, You compose in uh, Microsoft Word on a PC. And uh, once you've installed WordRake, which takes one to two minutes, it will appear in the ribbon right above uh, the word ribbon. And you just open it, highlight what you want to edit, and hit the rake button. And it ripples through. I even enjoy watching it work. Uh, it's incredibly fast. It'll move faster than you could read the changes. Um, it'll cover, edit about um, 10 pages in 30 seconds. Uh, so it's, you don't have to sit and wait for it, and you don't have to go to lunch while it's doing its job. It, it'll be done immediately. And it will highlight words, as I mentioned earlier, it will highlight words that uh, we think are unnecessary, words that are not conveying meaning. So it helps make things clear and more concise. And it will put those words in red with a line through them. If they need to be replaced, the replacement words will appear in blue. and then you have an accept and reject button, uh, and you approve each one of these edits. It, it'll, the cursor will just start immediately again at the first edit, and you can hit the accept, 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 and then maybe you don't like one of the edits, so you hit reject, and each time it just goes to the next edit. 
And it will be, I've had many people say, uh, uh, do you have an accept all button? And I, I tell them that we will never have an accept all button because uh, it, we'll give you a good edit, uh, an accurate edit, 80 to 90% of the time, which is phenomenal when you consider that this is the machine doing this. It's just how we teach it and how we build the algorithms that enables it to do that. But it's still going to get wrong sometimes. Sometimes it will be just flat out make a mistake. Sometimes it will um, change, slightly change the meaning of the sentence. And then sometimes it'll pick out the word, for instance, uh, indeed, and you like the word indeed, or the lawyer for whom you're writing likes the word indeed, and so you want to keep it. Uh, and, and that's why it's an accurate edit, but it's not one that, that you want to keep. You like that, that word. So you will always have to approve. You're always in control. You always have to approve each of the edits. Um, and um, I built this. You know, Vicki, you were talking about if I looked at some of your work, you might, you know, you would be nervous about that. I have people tell me that all the time when, when they send me emails. They're afraid to send me an email. But I want you to know that, that when I built WordRake, when I got the original patents on it, we now have six patents on WordRake. And when I filed the original patent, when I started building examples so that we could create algorithms to put under WordRake to make it work so quickly and easily, uh, I pulled the finest writing I could possibly find, uh, like uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning novels uh, from Esquire magazine or National Geographic magazine or Vanity Fair, uh, some of the best legal writers I could find, judges and decisions. and. Um, and I, I re, uh, figured that if, if we could edit a really, really fine professional writer who then gets edited by two or three editors often, and we could still find these unnecessary words in there, then everybody could use this. So, and believe me, I find it with virtually everything. I find it in my own stuff. I'll write an email, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, I don't need those words in there. And that's part of the editing process then. Uh, so it just it just uh, it it jump starts the editing process uh, for you to use WordRake, and then it it's like a, a collaboration. It will um, uh, it'll point out a lot of things that you just don't have time to see. You wouldn't know to see that you're too tired to see. And then once in a while, it's going to suggest an edit, and you're going to say, you know what, that edit's incorrect, but I see what it was trying to do. And it will, uh, you then can make that change yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, that's the way it collaborates. It's a wonderful tool. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful tool. And I know that it's useful for both paralegals and lawyers, right? And, and also for non-legal professionals. It really works for everybody. It, um, you know, it eventually, uh, we we went to the legal market first because of my background as a lawyer and, for, and teaching lawyers for so long. Uh, and they, I think, have probably formed the largest group of professional writers. If you put the paralegals and the lawyers together, uh, we're talking about two and a half million people, and that's that's the largest uh, group of of uh, professional writers in the world. And uh, we thought that we would go out out there first, but it, it works for, for everybody, even people who are in school or people in high school can use it, business people can use it, government can use it. Gary, first of all, don't you think that a lot of people have these unnecessary words simply because they want to make their content longer? <laughs> you know, is that well, what they're trying to do? 
One of our engineers had a suggestion for an April Fool's Day uh, tip, an article, and it was just an announcement, really, that that we were going to take all the words that Wordrake uh, deleted and and put them into a different system, and that system people could access to add words to their writing if they <laughs> wanted to. I I think that one of the problems in 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 writing today is what we were taught originally, and that is your paper has to be three pages long or it has to be 10 pages long instead of saying, so I want many, you to... Or so many words. Exactly. You know, exactly. Write, a, write a hundred words or a thousand words or whatever. It, instead of saying, I want you to express this idea as succinctly as you can. That's what we should be doing. And everybody knows that, but nobody does it for some reason. I don't know why. But I don't think, you know, briefs, you don't want briefs to be longer than necessary. Once in a while, I think we have to... Um, we have to convince a client that a shorter brief is, is much more difficult to write and is worth the time spent on it and is much more effective with the judge. Well, it, it is. Yeah, it is. It, would, yeah. it, would, it absolutely would be because people don't want to read long missives. They're done. You know, they just need a few words to make the point and, and, and to move on. That's exactly what it is, and it's getting rid of all those unnecessary words mm-hmm. that, that allows you to do that. Another thing I want to discuss are the basics of the Plain Writing Act of 2010 and how paralegals, especially those whose practice interacts with the government sector, can use word rake and other resources to be compliant with it. Essentially, the, uh, the Plain Writing Act is... Uh, it's a mandate for government, federal government agencies to communicate clearly and concisely uh, with their constituents. Uh, when they interface with the public, they have to deal you know, with forms and how do you apply for Social Security, anything like that. Uh, we just, um, we just uh, signed a contract with the U.S. Postal Service uh, for Wordrake. Um, that's another government agency, and they have to comply with this act. And the act says that every government agency shall have an officer, uh, and I'm sure they'll have other jobs too, but that shall be assigned um, to guarantee that that agency is conforming to the act uh, and how they're doing that. And that has to be plainly uh, displayed on their website. And this could be that they're offering in-house writing programs. It could be that they've... uh, initiated the use of, of word rake, for instance, to make it clear and concise. Now, they, they take theirs a little further uh, of necessity, and I'll explain that quickly. In addition to getting rid of unnecessary words, they also want to make sure that anyone who speaks English as a second or third language will still understand whatever this requirement is that the government has put out. And I, I know, you know, I took Spanish when I was in ninth and 10th grade, and I remember a little bit of it. It's surprising how much I still remember of it. But um, I know that there might be four or five or six words to say eat, for instance, or walk. And, uh, and yet I just learned the one basic word for how to walk, uh, for to express walk. Um, So what the government also needs people to do is to take the most basic, simple word that you could use to express that thought and use that. So that goes beyond even trying to get rid of unnecessary words and making the writing more succinct and lively. 
Okay, okay. Gary, we're running uh, short of time here, but I do have a question for you. Do you have any other technology tools you'd recommend to help paralegals become better writers? I mean, uh, you've talked about word rake. Are there any others? We all need, uh, I think, spell check. I even, I'm, I, some people, I think, are naturally spellers. I have a friend who, who cannot spell the word the. He always misspells things, and yet he studied it. I, I have a natural affinity for that. I, I am a, a good speller, but I still leave spell check on. Uh, and sometimes it underlines something, and I'll go, you know, it's really, a, 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 sometimes it's misspelled or it's a typo. Well, I'll test to see if I've got the spelling correct. So I think that that's a good one. Uh, the grammar checkers are, and there are a number of them out there, I, it, they are, um, they might help some people. I think that they are incorrect often enough that it sometimes becomes counterproductive. Uh, and they'll usually give you a window that explains something rather than actually makes the change for you and then asks for, for approval. Um, and for other technology, I'm probably not the one to talk to because I, uh, although I've created the software with the engineers, obviously, they're the ones who do all of the programming and all the underneath stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't keep abreast of the latest uh, technology. Um, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of uh, maybe uh, uh, reading, doing a lot. You know, if you want to write well, read a lot. That's that's one thing. And and study, get uh, get yourself three or four writing books. And I I, I would get um, get you know a good dictionary of synonyms, and I would get a really good thesaurus. And not I wouldn't go online for these things because they're not going to give you enough of what you really need. And if you have a book. Even from a used bookstore, an old copy of one, uh, you don't have to put up with all the ads. And I, I never can figure out what I'm, I'm looking for, even if it's right in front of me, because there's so much busyness going on. Right, right. But I think if thesaurus synonyms and, and a, a regular dictionary, the three things that all writers need. Okay, those are good tips. I um, always advise people to use spell check, but also not to always trust spell check. Exactly. I, I, yeah, you have to have a good review of your work. So um, I'd like for you, to, as, we're, as we're closing now, to tell listeners how they can access more information about you and about WordRake. Uh, WordRake.com, uh, as I mentioned before, is the main website. Uh, that's where they could sign up for, um, for WordRake. Uh, one-year license, we have one-year licenses, two-year licenses, and three-year licenses. Uh, it's $99 a year, and it, it's less expensive. There's a discount if you buy multi-year. You have a multi-license uh, purchase. Um, and you can reach me at uh, Gary K at wordrake.com. Perfect. That's Gary K at wordrake.com. Gary, uh, lots of great information. I've really enjoyed talking with you today, and um, I'm going to give my readers um, a little rundown on word rake one of these days when I, maybe I'll, I'll be sure to word rake that column though. Before I do. <laughs> <laughs> I've had other people say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. I know that paralegals are going to find the information that you've provided to be valuable, um, especially since um, their writing skills are so important. Well, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Vicki. I've really enjoyed talking with you and your audience. Thanks. 
Let's take another short break now and don't go away because when I come back, I've got some great tips for you. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. This is the point in the show where I share news and practice tips with you. I guess my main news is that I was at the NALA convention in Portland uh, last week. And, of course, I always suggest that you attend live events so that you can do a lot of networking. My practice tip for today, though, is about gathering client information. A paralegal really should be able to gather plenty of information for a firm to evaluate a potential claim and also to open a new file if the firm decides to accept the case. In order to fully understand the case and um, assist the client, though, the paralegal should be sure to get certain information and to do certain things. The first thing is, is to meet with the client and to establish a comfortable working relationship with the client, always being sure that the client understands that you're a paralegal and not an attorney. Be sure that you have prepared intake forms and releases to use when you're interviewing clients so that you don't miss any key information. And always review all documentation the client has regarding the claim or the issue. Gather as many details as possible and be sure that you understand the client's issues. Now, depending on the type of the case, you need to obtain complete background information about the client. That would include uh, medical and employment history, criminal record if there is any, and prior injury claims or pre-existing conditions, if there are any. I would also suggest that you do a check of social media sites to see if there's any other information on the client. Always decline to give clients legal advice. Instead, refer uh, questions regarding legal issues to the attorney. And also, be sure that you carefully draft and review the contents of all your correspondence, including email, prior to sending it to be sure, um, and you have to be very careful about this because it may be seen by unintended parties, and you do need to avoid that. That's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. If you have questions about today's show, please email them to Vicki at paralegalmentor.com. Vicki is spelled V-I-C-K-I. Also, don't forget to check out my blog, paralegalmentorblog.com and the resources available at paralegalmentor.com. They've been designed to help you move your career in the right direction, and that's always forward. This is Vicki Voison thanking you for listening to the Paralegal Voice and reminding you to make your paralegal voice heard.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Vicki Voicen for her next podcast on issues and trends affecting paralegals and legal assistants. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.